Welcome to The Author Journey, the midlife pursuit of passion and purpose, a limited edition podcast hosted by me, Jay Thorne. Chapter One, Origins, Remembering the Call to Adventure. You don't remember hearing the call to adventure because it starts more like a whisper than a shout. Maybe you first heard it when your second grade teacher asked you to read your poem to the class. Or maybe it was when you miraculously scored the winning soccer goal, making your team the U10 champs. Perhaps the call to adventure disguised itself as your fifth grade choir director, asking you to take the solo at your school's annual holiday concert. You don't know when you first heard the call to adventure because you were too young to understand what was happening. But that is when the call to adventure first speaks to you, in your childhood. In kindergarten, everyone wanted to be artists, painters, dancers, athletes, musicians. And yet by the time we reached middle school, the system had drilled and killed those passions out of us, our creative fire doused by a hose of practicality. Knowing where you've been is clearly the key to figuring out where you want to go. You have forgotten those early passions, or you can't remember ever hearing the call to adventure, but you definitely did. You have lived a core identity your entire life, and it's become the author of your story. Lucky for you, the story doesn't end until you do. And your story is always a work in progress. So you must go back to your first passions to discover your future ones. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, 1980, nine years old. I'm in the basement listening to a new song called Back in Black, by ACDC on my parents' record player. My dad works on the assembly line at a factory, and my mom is a housewife with two kids and one on the way. We live in a working-class suburb of a blue-collar town. My parents are third-generation Americans. My great-grandparents are Irish and Slovakian immigrants. I'm the firstborn, first grandchild on either side of the family. I'll be the first to go to college. Most of my relatives worked in the steel mills and factories, punching clocks at the end of their shifts and punching noses in the parking lot after last call. When your life is nothing but shift work in church, alcohol-fueled fistfights at the neighborhood bar provide a temporary escape. The first rule of Fight Club is do your job. That could have been the official motto of working-class Pittsburghers in the 1970s. You went to work daily and church weekly. Art was something rich people in New York City hung on the walls. Andy Warhol was from Pittsburgh, and yet I'd never heard his name until I went to college. So, as a skinny, quiet, introspective, and awkward kid, my salvation wouldn't come on the gridiron or from an athletic scholarship. Music was my life, as far back as I can remember. It was my friend, my lover, my therapy, my coping mechanism. And as I'll discover in my teens, it's the storytelling nature of music that I've had in my soul and always been an aspect of my core identity. This clip is from The Intronaut, episode 98, first published on November 26th, 2017. The Intronaut was a free-form podcast for introverts, a deep well of navel-gazing monologues where I explored living in a world built for extroverts. I wrapped the show at the 100th episode, 
feeling as though I'd said everything I needed to say about introversion, my own Forrest Gump moment. In this episode, I define nostalgia. I explore the teenage years and contemplate why they're the most wistful time of our life, driving so much of our sentimental longings. Reminiscence bump theory clearly explains why music is such a powerful driver of nostalgia and how music becomes the soundtrack of our lives, something I'll talk more about with my friend Justin on Gen X Rock and Talk. You'll discover that nostalgia is a double-edged sword because it gives you a refuge from your current troubles, but it also distorts the objective truth of the memory every time you recall it, which changes the very memory you're trying to preserve. Doesn't that suck? The definition, I guess, like the technically, the technical Webster's definition of nostalgia is a sentimental longing or wistful affection for the past, typically for a period or place with happy personal associations. Uh, so really nostalgia is about, um, about having a fond memory of, of certain times and places. And that can really happen from, you can draw on that from any point in your life, but there seems to be a commonality with nostalgia and people identifying the teenage years as the most wistful affection for the past, like the most highly sentimental longings are for teenage years. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. And uh, they have to do with psychology and neuroscience. And there's this great article uh, that came out in in 2014 on slate.com in their health and science section and it had to do with these the connection between musical nostalgia uh song preference um and that sort of thing so there's a few quotes from that i want to read to you and then and then talk about the first one uh from the article says according to the reminiscence bump theory we all have a culturally conditioned life script that serves in our memory as the narrative of our lives. When we look back on our pasts, the memories that dominate this narrative have two things in common. They're happy and they cluster around our teens and early 20s. So I think if you think about it, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that's when you were your most successful or that you should have just killed yourself at age 25. But I think we all have uh, a dominant narrative of the time when we were teenagers in our, in, in our early 20s. And some of that might have to do with the fact that we were doing really interesting things. We may not have had a ton of responsibility. Uh, we were in that sort of in-between shadow of childhood and adulthood, which meant that uh, we get a little taste of each, which is a, a really unique combination and not something... I think happens again, maybe until you're older than I am, but it hasn't happened since. Uh, so there's definitely, um, uh, when you think about nostalgia, I think for most people, they're going to reflect back to teens and early 20s. And because of that, I think there's a cycle of nostalgia. So if you if you think about, you know, 2017 and and who people are in their middle age and how old they were when they were teenagers, and if you look at what's happening culturally, you look at movies and television shows; it's uh, it's not it's not just a coincidence. There's a, there's a lot of uh, really grounded reasons for that, and uh, so we're gonna you know we're gonna talk about some of those. Uh, 
so the for the article, you know, they they asked that question. Well, you know, if you're most happy or you have your this dominant narrative of nostalgia in your early, you know, your teens and early twenties, why is that? And uh, they said that researchers at the University of Leeds proposed one enticing explanation in 2008. The years highlighted by the reminiscence bump coincide with quote the emergence of a stable and enduring self, unquote. The period between 12 and 22, in other words, is the time when you become you. It makes sense, then, that the memories that contribute to this process become uncommonly important throughout the rest of your life. They didn't just contribute to the development of your self-image. They became part of your self-image, an integral part of your sense of self. Uh, so that you know, that's a, that's a really well-worded explanation, I think, for what I've mentioned a few moments ago you know you you have you're living in this strange dynamic between childhood and adulthood you're having these really unique experiences I mean things like college college is such a unique experience um, never in your life will you have that type of experience again like you you're giving you're given adult responsibilities but not entirely adult responsibilities you know your parents are still paying your tuition or your room and board or, or whatever but that, but you might have a job. You might have a full-time job, but you don't have a full-time job that's supporting a family. Usually, you know, it's 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 a weird confluence, and and certainly in the ages to twelve to twenty-two, uh, get into that, and and it's also, you know, it's not a coincidence that is the that's the period uh, where people form themselves. They form their identities, uh, their moral compass, or like thereof, their interests, their passions. Uh, certainly people continue to grow. I believe in growth mindset uh, and, and I practice it on a daily basis. And even for someone like myself, uh, I know that there are, uh, for a fact, there are CDs, tapes, cassettes, however you want to, <laughs> not iTunes, that wasn't us, but you know, there's music that I listened to in my teenage years, in my early 20s that I listen to on a regular basis. And um without sounding like the curmudgeon who says, oh, all new music sucks, like that's bullshit. Uh, every, everyone's been saying new music sucks for 40 years. Um, and, you know, that, but I, I think the, the underlying reason for that is because we, we make that connect, those of us who love music make that connection to popular music uh, in, the, in that age range. And, and it's something that sticks with you for the rest of your life. And... The, the reason this article really caught my eye is because they used music as the lens to talk about nostalgia. And so they go a little bit deeper into, you know, why is it that music in particular of, of other, you know, of most art forms, why is music the thing that, that, uh, that sends up a flare of nostalgia? Why music? And uh, in, in, in the article, again, on Slate.com, they say these songs form the soundtrack to what you feel at the time like the most vital and momentous years of our lives. The music that plays during our first kiss, our first prom, our first toke gets attached to that memory and takes on a glimmer of its profundity. We may recognize in retrospect that prom wasn't really all that profound, but even as the importance of the memory itself fades, the emotional afterglow tagged to the music lingers. And I know this for firsthand. I can remember, I, I, I can close my eyes and I can transport myself to certain memories based on song. Uh, I can hear Mr. Brownstone by Guns N' Roses 
And when I close my eyes and listen to that song, I'm standing at the dishwasher in the back of Bonanza Steakhouse where I worked as a teenager, washing dishes, listening to it on a boombox. Uh, and, and I can hear it. I can see it. I can smell it. Um, there's no doubt for me that, that the reason I'm so into music is that it connects me to memories that I have filed away as fond, even when they weren't. <laughs> so I, like using my example, uh, working as a dishwasher at a restaurant is a shitty ass job. And if you've ever done it, you'll know that it's, it's wet and it's cold and it's filthy and it smells. And yet, um, I get this little smile on my face when I hear Mr. Brownstone because there I am in 1987 washing dishes. And, uh, and somehow I have this quote unquote emotional afterglow now tagged to that song, even though the original experience was, was terrible. Um, and I think that that kind of gets to the next point in, and I, I touched a little bit upon, upon this in episode 97. Nostalgia is memory revised. It's not memory. So every time you think about something from your past, those fond associations get better. <laughs> so, you know, at the time, washing dishes was not great. And maybe I've heard Mr. Brownstone 300 times in the past 30 years. I don't know the exact number. Whatever it is, um, every time I hear it, I think back to that time and I think about it more fondly. As time progresses, I get older. Uh, I think about being a teenager and what that meant and how that felt. And so every time I think about washing dishes, it gets a little bit better. And, uh, and, and that's why I think, you know, nostalgia is really, uh, uh, it's addictive because <laughs> the more you do it, the more you want and the better it gets. Um, uh, there's a danger there though, because that's not the reality and, uh, and you can't, you can't go back. So it is, uh, it's a bitch. <laughs> This clip is from Gen X Rock and Talk, Season 1, Episode 12, first published on August 1st, 2018. I discuss with my friend Justin Jackson, co-founder of Transistor.fm, the most influential music of 1991, and why one particular album from that year had such an impact on our journey to adulthood. Spoiler alert, we both chose Nirvana's Nevermind. It would be impossible to choose anything but that record because it captured the essence of early 90s angst. Justin describes the first time he heard Smells Like Teen Spirit. We reminisce about the cultural impact the song and music video had on Generation X. You'll discover that nostalgia isn't the same as memory. It's memory revised, which makes it immensely more powerful. Your teenage years and early 20s feel like a lifetime ago, and you can't relive them. And yet, it's when you created your core identity with the help of popular music. For folks our age, this will be the last time a generation will share a common nostalgic frame. Regardless of when you were born, the music of your era helps to shape your identity. It is the soundtrack of your story. And if Gen X had a scent, ours would definitely Smell like teen spirit. I have this vivid memory of being on the bus and Nathan is in front of me <laughs> and, you know, uh, he's listening to his Walkman 
And he turns around and he says, Justin, you got to listen to this. And I take it and he shows me the cover of the cassette. <laughs> and I was like, and I know what's on that cover. <laughs> yeah. I'd never seen anything like that, you know, and I'm like, okay. And put it on and smells like teen spirit comes. Yes. That, that's what I listened to. So yes. the album is Nevermind by Nirvana. Oh man. Oh. <laughs> it how, was, how could you not pick that really? I know it, it was, it was, again, there's, I don't listen to that album a lot anymore. Mm -hmm. I, I actually find it difficult because, so at the time, what's perfect about it is I'm, you know, I'm just going into puberty and it, that song, that album is chaos. It's <laughs> like every raw emotion kind of put out in musical form and, you know, there. Uh, for a lot of young men, that's when they get this like anger and rage and they don't know why. And this album perfectly channels all of that. And so actually to listen back to it now is, and sometimes it's kind of difficult because it's like, whoa, like I just remember all yeah. the emotions I was going through. But when I, I put that on, like the, Nathan's headphones on and I listened to <laughs> Smells Like Teen Spirit, it was like, what is going on? Like, this is, and the context is so important. It was yep. all like kind of eighties hair metal. Mm -hmm. You know, last last week my pick was ACDC Razor's Edge. So Thunderstruck, na 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 na, <laughs> and then all of a sudden you have smells like Teen Spirit. Like, <laughs> oh, it it just it's it's so gritty. It's so fuzzy. It the. His vocals don't sound like anybody else. Um, I think that's one reason I couldn't get into Pearl Jam as much because I listened to them after. Oh, right. And for me, I was like, but it's not Cobain. Like, yeah, it, it's almost kind of like listening to uh, Rage Against the Machine. Like anyone who tried to be get anyone who tried to be Rage Against the Machine. I was like, ah, it just doesn't. Yeah. No one can do it like that. And right. there's there's no album like that. Um, like. <sighs> lithium's on that album and bloom is on that album you listen to that album over and over again you listen to that album when you were angry you listen to that album when you wanted to party um it it had that iconic cover that we so the baby the naked baby going after the dollar bill just like you, no one had ever seen anything like that yeah and uh so anyway that album for me insane um yeah just i can't stop and there's an edmonton story here as well because <laughs> they right before about six months before that album comes out this is like edmonton folklore they're they're on white avenue which is kind of our where a lot of the clubs are and they were a late addition to a bill and something like 20 people came uh -huh. to that show and watch them play. Reviews weren't great. You know, couldn't hear Cobain sing. Guitars were messy. Uh, sound, you know, it sounded like garbage. And then I, I think something like six months later, Nevermind comes out and it's this crazy mass hit. Yep. And everybody has it. And yeah. So that's my pick. Uh, it's the reason I was excited to do 91 because. 
nothing like that album is there's i i don't know if there's ever going to be an album i don't know maybe there will never be an album like that again that has that much cultural relevance that kicks off uh, a genre like they did um yep. I, I totally agree man i totally agree and and, and uh it's no surprise I picked the same record. I mean, mm. there's no way I could pick anything else. And my biggest reason, other than some personal ones, which I'll mention, was exactly what you just said. Like, no matter what you think about Nirvana or the music industry or the way things are right now, that was the last scene, and that band created the last scene. It will, mm -hmm. it will never be like that again. And yeah. I, I totally agree with you. I mean, from from the moment I heard that, uh, I heard Dave Grohl's ba bap ba bap ba bap ba ba in the beginning mm -hmm. it smells like Teen Spirit. I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, like the anticipation of hearing the riff, hearing the drum fill coming in, and knowing what's coming before you even heard it yeah. was mind-blowing. And yes. I can just remember the anticipation of like, oh my God, here comes, here it comes. It's going to come in full on, and it does. And it, yeah. it's just so brutally powerful. And I can remember thinking at the time, Again, given my age of 20 and, and having been groomed on metal and hair metal and, and a huge fan of it, mm -hmm. I remember hearing that and immediately thought, well, that's the end of that. Yeah. <laughs> like it was Nirvana had opened up this Pandora's box of whatever you'd want to eventually call it, grunge or alt rock or alternative, whatever. Mm -hmm. That was it, man. It was in that moment. It was in that opening riff. And I would even go so far as to say, I don't know if there's a better opening to a rock record than than smells like teen spirit no. i just i i can't think of one that's even close and his what's weird about that song because you think of that song as almost like very high adrenaline whatever but the opening is but then about 30 seconds in it <laughs> slows down and then you've got these haunting vocals his yes. his voice was so haunting and i <sighs> Like you're in the beginning, you're almost thinking you're like, OK, this doesn't sound like ACDC. It's not as clean as ACDC. But, man, this sounds kind of like stadium rock, like dun, 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 dun. and you got yeah. the drums. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> and and you're kind of like, OK, here we go. We're going to get like this soaring, like, you know, you know, powerful metal vocal. And then it brings it right down boom, boom. yeah and then all of a sudden he's singing and it's like what is this and yeah. then it brings you right back up again and it it yeah it just it drove me insane um that song perfect i mean that had to be the single i yeah it's so i mean and, and we're we haven't even mentioned the music video Oh my I mean, god! The like if you if you you talked about like the teenage angst and 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 the aggression and the things that you feel as a young man, mm -hmm. and then you look at that video and you know they're they're playing it's a mockery of like the pep rally filled yeah. with people in dreads and with tattoos and uh, and and porn star cheerleaders with anarchy on their chest and mm -hmm. <laughs> like it was and some guy mopping the floor and it was just nuts like it was yes. crazy it, it it didn't look or sound like anything else yeah and i think the other thing i, I just want to mention is cuz it shows you how powerful music could be uh, and again, maybe this is the last scene but those shoes like um you know yeah. everyone started wearing those shoes that um like all the clothes like that yep. seattle kind of look all my friends and i looked like that like that's what 
we were wearing. And, yes. uh, you know, Kurt Cobain would put long sleeve shirts under T-shirts. Right. Yeah. We did that. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and I still it, do that. <laughs> oh, man. It, it, it's such a it was in some ways it was such a amazing time to be around. Again, for context, like if you grew up in the 80s. It was very commercial. Like everyone had to have like Reebok pumps. That was a big mm -hmm. thing when I was a kid. It was yep. expensive. It was flashy. It was neon. And then, you know, I'm just about to become a teenager. It's 91, 92. I'm 11 or 12. And it, you know, I felt all that pressure growing up of, you know, got to dress the right way. And then Nirvana comes out, comes out and it's like, oh, I can just wear ripped jeans and my dad's <laughs> old flannel. Like, what a. Yep. What yep. a crazy band. What a crazy scene. Um, you know, there were still long hairs around, but there, it was just different. It was just like uh, almost indescribable what happened there. I, I, I totally agree. And, and, you know, for me, I know that you had a little different take on Pearl Jam, but I kind of group because, because 10 mm -hmm. and Bad Motor Finger and Teen Spirit mm -hmm. all came out in the same year. And yeah. I, I sort of grouped those together in my collective memory. Mm -hmm. And I can remember bouncing from, you know, the Pearl Jam CD to Soundgarden to Nirvana mm -hmm. and just thinking like, this is, this is the apex of music for me. Like I can't, I couldn't imagine a time where music would get better than that. And, yeah. and I could, I totally connected with Pearl Jam and it's funny because I don't like much after 10. Like mm. a lot of hardcore Pearl Jam fans don't like 10. They like everything that came after. Yeah. And I like 10 just for the, for the record that was. And Bad Motorfinger was clearly my most my favorite Soundgarden record, mm -hmm. but I put those three together, and I feel like for me they defined everything I felt, everything I couldn't articulate as a young man. Like as mm -hmm. as like transitioning from a boy to a man, those three records spoke for me. Yeah, and, and it's it's so incredible because even to this day. I, I can I put those records on any one of those and I feel those same feelings I did back then. Yeah. And again, maybe I this is again why I like talking to you is I'll often go back to these albums that I might have passed on the first time. So I want to go back to 10 because I, I don't know what it was that didn't speak to me the first time, but mm. it could have just been, you know, maybe it was too it was a little bit more sophisticated than Nirvana. Yes. It, it was a little bit more versatility. Um you know, his voice was totally different. And so I, I almost want to, yeah, go back and listen to it again yeah. just to like, but I remember it, again, if you looked through those zip up CD cases, it would be like, <laughs> first it would be Nevermind, then it would be 10, then it would be Bad Motor Finger, like, and then those two Guns N' Roses albums, like everybody had the same, the same sequence. And maybe that was also what was cool is like, Everybody was listening to the same music and maybe there's something, you know, I don't know, maybe that's not a good thing, but just to have that identity, everyone's going through it at the same time. Right. Your story doesn't end in young adulthood because so many of your beliefs and values formed at that time hold true today. Although I felt the rebellious, grungy fire burning in my belly, I took the traditional path into my adult life. After earning a BA in history from the University of Pittsburgh, I enrolled at Duquesne University, where I earned a master's degree in education. For the next two decades, my career defined my personal and professional identity, teacher. You see how I've followed the thread back to my childhood passions of storytelling and music, 
Even though I silenced the call to adventure for many years, my core identity remained, manifesting in the storytelling style I used in the classroom. What does your call to adventure sound like? How long has it been since you've heard it? In the next chapter of the story, we'll debunk the end of history illusion and discover that the call to adventure never disappears. We grow up and become responsible, but that's not the end of the story. It's never too late to rewrite your story because the story doesn't end until you do. Mentorship by Brian Clark, Jared Morris, and Trudy Roth. Podcast concept by Jared Morris. Written, narrated, and produced by Jay Thorne. Editing by Miranda Weingartner and Trudy Roth. Audio editing and production by Jay Thorne. Twisted and Retro Future, courtesy of Kevin McLeod at idincompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 at creativecommons.org.